Welcome to the Big Unlock Podcast, your leading source for insights and best practices on the digital transformation of healthcare. Join host Patty Patmanaban, CEO of Demo Consulting and best-selling author of Healthcare Digital Transformation, how consumerism, technology, and pandemic are accelerating the future in conversation with healthcare and technology leaders. This podcast is brought to you with the support of our partners, Innovacer and Powbox. Hello again, everyone, and welcome back. It is my great privilege and honor to introduce my special guest today, Dr. Lucy Ide, founder and CEO of Remedy. Lucy, thank you so much for setting aside the time and welcome to the show. Thank you, Patty. Great to be here. So Lucy, why don't we dive right in? Tell us a bit about the company and what led you to start the company. Sure, so Remedy is a health IT company. We're based in Atlanta, Georgia. And we're really focused on providing tools to the healthcare provider market and helping clinicians make data-driven, personalized, proactive decisions about patient care. I'm a clinician myself by background, but I started my career in data, working for the federal government, spent a little bit of time in venture capital, went, became a clinician, thought I'd be an academic physician and have a long career there, but was really intrigued with the workflow challenges and data challenges that clinicians face and decided to leave clinical practice and see what I could do on the technology and informatics side to make that better, better for clinicians and better for their patients. So you're one of a growing breed of doctorpreneurs is what may be one way of characterizing your, your career. And, uh, and that's a great thing, by the way. I think uh, there's a lot of doctors coming into the technology field with deep knowledge of clinical needs and then uh, bringing all of those training aspects into the world of technology, which tends to be very technology-centric, you know? And so combining the two has got to be an interesting challenge for you. Now, telehealth, RPM, these are pretty much mainstream ideas today. They were... Uh, Coming along a couple of years ago, and then the pandemic sort of accelerated their adoption rates. But uh, we are more likely than not heading into some kind of a hybrid model is what it looks like, where telehealth and RPM, virtual care models will exist side by side with the traditional in-person models. So can you break down from your point of view what you see is the current adoption rate for these modalities and specifically your platform and product, which is kind of in the RPM space. As you said, it's been an interesting two years almost due to COVID and all of the impacts COVID's had on healthcare delivery, this being one of the major accelerations. We have worked in this space for a long time in sort of innovation years, right? <laughs> like six to eight years is a lifetime. And we've been enabling these sort of continuous models of care is what I call it, right? From in-clinic to at-home and sort of, you know, everything, all the touch points in between, because I think that's what it takes to manage chronic health conditions, right? That patient lives with hypertension or diabetes or heart failure every day, not just the four days that they happen to have an appointment each year. So that has just always made sense to us. And I think made sense to some of our early clients. There were barriers to that, like reimbursement for it that stood in the way from that being scalable to a larger segment of the market. So a lot early on, it was a lot of 
capitated at-risk groups who were doing that kind of activity because it was the right way to deliver patient care in their mind. And I think as we look now, the, you know, the reimbursements weren't new with the pandemic, but I think the pandemic sort of helped tear the Band-Aid off, if you will, for everyone of their, their hesitation around adopting these novel, whether it was telemedicine or remote monitoring, and getting over the fear of doing something new and will we get paid for it and, and just some of that angst. So now we really see two camps, right? We still see the groups who are you know, risk-bearing entities who this is the most cost-effective and efficient way to deliver good care and achieve their quality measures. And then we see the groups who still live in a very fee-for-service world, but have like really embraced that reimbursement for RPM can enable them to do this work, which then also enables them to deliver high-quality patient care. So it's still kind of a split market in our experience and with our customers into those two groups. Yeah. Everything in healthcare follows the money. We know this, and we're still a long way away from a fully accountable care, alternate payment uh, kind of a modality. But uh, from your comments, it looks like the sweet spot for solutions like remote monitoring may be more in the capitated environments where there is a certain amount of risk bearing that is assumed by the entities. So that leads me to the question, you know, who are your customers today? What is your ideal profile and what kind of entities do you work with? So we do work with those accountable care organizations, IDMs that bear financial risk. And I agree with you, everything follows the money at healthcare. But I often say to our group that, you know, CMS has created these reimbursement models as an on-ramp to, you know, value-based capitated kind of behaviors. Because I think when we first launched into the ACO world, it was a bridge too far for so many organizations to go from their fee-for-service decades of behavior to how on earth do I become a risk-bearing capitated entity. So it's like this, you know, trail of breadcrumbs to help folks get there. So we do, you know, we really do have a lot of clients that are able to take advantage of the reimbursement because they still live in the fee-for-service and start doing RPM and start behaving in this more proactive, comprehensive way of delivering healthcare. So can you give us an example of maybe one of your clients who's used your platform? How do they derive value out of it? How do they get paid for it? You know, how does the how does the end beneficiary in this case be a patient with some kind of a chronic condition like a diabetes or hypertension? Can you walk us through how that looks in from the point of view of your platform and how you're pulling it all together? Sure, sure, sure. So I think a good example, we're working with a group called Leon Medical Group. They're in the Miami market, South Florida, Medicare Advantage group. So they do bear risk on their patient population and have an older polychronic population, right? So they are using our platform to help them manage diabetes. And they have a reasonable number of patients whose diabetes is not well managed. And so they're doing RPM, right, with connected glucometers. That data is being monitored by care management team of pharmacists who are engaging with those patients, providing the education, providing the medication adjustments as they monitor the blood glucose levels, while also intervening on the clinical side, right? Because it's, you know, RPM is a aspect of care. It's not really in my mind a thing unto itself, right? It is a component of how do I understand what's happening with this patient? 
And I'm trying to manage a condition like diabetes. So have they had all the right screenings? Are they on the right classes of medications to decrease their cardiovascular risk? And is their blood glucose well controlled, which I'm doing at the end of the day to decrease their cardiovascular risk of complications. So they've been, a, they've been very successful with this. So they target their patients who have poorly controlled diabetes defined by an A1C over nine. And they've been able to get 88% of those patients to goal by engaging them more intensely through RPM, but also more holistically because the whole platform is integrated to their Epic EHR and it sort of paints this much more complete picture of what's happening with that patient. Let's talk about the data because this is that's at the core of how you actually deliver value. You talked about the glucometers and possibly other devices from which you gather the data. It's always been a challenge to put the data into the EHR system or you know, wrangle it in some way to make holistic sense of it so that a physician who wants to intervene on behalf of their patients can actually make sense of the data. What were some of the challenges that you had to overcome? Is it still work in progress? You know, what's the state of the union on that? I and we have been very early evangelists of FHIR, sort of the HL7 FHIR data standard, because this was always the vision of like, how do we get all of this into that workflow to the point of care? And, you know, none of us as physicians are begging for more data, right? What we want is the insight. We want the curated information and sort of, so what? What's this data telling me? What's the story and what do I need to do? And when I first started the company, you know, FIRE just turned 10 years old, will turn 10 years old next year. It was sort of an academic level project 10 years ago. <laughs> Certainly was not commercially relevant. And so we've sort of been on that journey of standardizing APIs and interoperability and FIRE becoming the dominant standard with the growth of the company, that's been an important part of our story because now we can finally achieve that vision of, I can aggregate all of this data into one experience for a physician. And then a big part of what we do is clinical decision support on top of that. The so what? I don't need more information. I need to know, help me do the right thing, make it hard for me to do the wrong thing. Don't let me miss something about a patient, sort of that level of, of workflow. This podcast is brought to you with the support of our partners, Innovacer and Powbox. A number of companies have gotten into the space, RPM in particular, and they're all approaching it from their own unique vantage points. But the central message is the same. It's uh, the big use cases, at least to begin with, happen to be in chronic disease management, diabetes, hypertension, uh, obesity, whatever. And the fundamental model also seems to be the same. You gather up the data from the point of care through sensors, devices, monitors of some kind, and then you know apply intelligence on top of it to intervene. But uh, where they differ is uh, what kind of target markets they're going after. Some of your competitors, like Livongo and Nomada, as an example, they've gone after employers to state, which is one of the examples. And some of them have been on my, on my podcast and they talked about it as well. Is there a sweet spot today in your view, or is it just where you organically seem to find the traction, which makes the most sense for, for a company in the RPM space? I mean, I think it depends what problem you're trying to solve and what segment of the market you're trying to solve that for. My passion has been in the healthcare delivery system because my firm belief is that's where the majority of healthcare is delivered. And, and there's a segment of the market that of consumers and payers and employers 
who will embrace that sort of employer-driven healthcare or certain payers who do a really good job with case management, disease management, where they're able to engage their members and they're sort of driving and dedicating that. But by and large, the majority of us receive healthcare from a doctor who's part of a clinic or a health system. And the problem is that's the really messy part of the market, right? And this desire to sort of go outside of that and invent something more efficient I understand and I applaud and some of my, the other entrepreneurs in the market, that's just not my passion. My passion is like, we got to fix the system we have because that's the way the majority of us receive healthcare and it's what's driving the majority of the cost. In terms of numbers, someone who decides to adopt your platform, let's say an IDN health system, or even this case in Miami that you talked about, what are the quantifiable metrics they're looking for? Is there a certain threshold that they expect to accomplish? Do you share risk with them? Do you you put some of your own revenue at risk in promise of some outcome? Then walk us through some of the thought process behind those kind of transactions. Yeah. So I think every client we deal with is trying to achieve two outcomes. Well, maybe three, clinical, operational, and financial. You really get to the financial one usually through the clinical and operational because, you know, the challenge of healthcare delivery is sort of what outcome am I trying to achieve and how much does it cost me to get there? And, you know, historically, we've we've thrown people at the problem, more nurses, more doctors, more case managers to, you know, engage and interact with patients. And that isn't scalable and it's not cost effective. And in 2021, you know, we've had half a million people leave the healthcare workforce in the past year. You cannot throw people at the problem. People can't hire nurses. They're not there. So I think it even further emphasizes this point of like the technology has got to make the delivery more efficient while still achieving that same outcome for the patient because you know that's the business we're in in healthcare to deliver better health to the people we care for. So that's almost the assumed, right? And, and I think that's a lesson I've learned on this journey. Of, you know, I came in with a clinical background thinking, you know, the measure we're trying to change is the clinical outcome. And I think what I've learned over the years is let's all assume that we're going to achieve that clinical outcome. The question is, how do we get there? Yeah. Now, you mentioned a couple of interesting points. And of course, uh, we are now all in the midst of this great resignation that people are talking about. And healthcare is feeling it just as much as any other sector, probably more so. And the pandemic has thrown a lot of these problems in very sharp relief because of the unique nature of healthcare. Now, there's also the other side of the equation, which is the consumers of healthcare who are also impacted. And then, you know, the pandemic has thrown in sharp relief uh, disparities in access to care, as an example. How does a platform like yours really address or does it address things like social equity, health equity, disparities in access to care and so on? Can you talk a little bit about that? Sure, sure. So we work with many federally qualified health centers, safety net hospitals, right, who are caring for those most vulnerable patients in our system who have the most barriers to care, right? They, it's hard to get off work. I don't have transportation. I don't have childcare. I may not have the level of health literacy that other patients have. And so, and then we also know that these chronic health conditions tend to over-index in that same population. And so, you know, it's a big part of our business of enabling better access and better standard of care to those who have the hardest time receiving care. And, you know, I think RPM is something new to a lot of those, you know, care delivery systems and clinics. 
but it's something we're seeing them really embrace. There's some challenges to that from a reimbursement point of view. If we come back to the money again, currently under Medicare, federally qualified health centers cannot get reimbursed for remote patient monitoring. So they're getting grants from the FCC, from HRSA, from other private foundations to do this work. That creates a sustainability problem. So that needs to be solved. And we're involved with many others and advocating for that. But to your point, there's this light being shined on health equity. I've been involved with a group this year called the Health Equity Access Leadership Coalition, which is a lot of digital health companies coming together and saying, what are the policy changes, but what are the best practices that we as technologists need to do to make sure that we are building solutions that don't propagate the same problems we've always had in terms of equity? Yeah, and you referred to the uh, the federal grant program last year, they set aside a couple hundred million dollars. Each of these transactions were half a million to a million. You know, a number of health systems were able to access it and really use it for the kinds of programs that you offer, which is really disadvantaged populations, subsidizing devices, subsidizing bandwidth, subsidizing remote monitoring, and so on. But to your point, sustainability is a problem. It's a one-time grant. It's done. What happens is when the money runs out and when the mission is accomplished, at least in some small way. So what is on your wish list? If you had the ability to influence policy makers or any other aspects of the market, what needs to happen for this to become a sustainable model for the most vulnerable populations to continue to receive the care that they need and not on a one-off kind of a basis? Right. Two changes of changing the restriction that federally qualified health centers and rural health clinics can get reimbursed for remote patient monitoring, like providers of care for any other Medicare beneficiary. And then getting alignment of state Medicaid plans, right? It is a state by state kind of hodgepodge right now of whether Medicaid reimburses. Because I think, as I said before, sort of RPM is this on-ramp. Like we've got to give these organizations some runway, you know, a couple of years of reimbursing them and giving them a financial model that works to deliver care in this way. And then I do believe we can transition them to value-based, capitated, whatever we want to call it, type contracting models. But we got to give them some time to really build the systems and the people and the processes to do that. Let's switch topics a little. Uh, We're in 2022. What are you seeing ahead as the big trends when it comes to digital health and virtual care models for the coming year? And we want to share one or two of your own goals for your company. Sure. So on the trends, I think you've touched on a lot of it, right? I think health equity is top of everybody's mind and is going to continue to be so. And so, you know, ensuring that we're being inclusive in how these programs are offered to patients, that they're accessible and by design. And then, you know, that this hybrid model of care is here to stay. And what's the relationship of that to value-based care? You know, the Biden administration, the administrative change has sort of looking intently at value-based care again. And what's the next iteration of that? You know, value-based care 2.0, what does that look like? And I think hybrid models of care is a big part of that, of how we how we kind of get there. Because as you said, we're, we're really not there at scale on accountable care or any of that versus where I think a lot of us want it to be. Yeah, and I was, I mean, I was going to say our goals, obviously, we are, you know, continuing to grow. We certainly are focused on continuing to grow in this segment around 
community health centers, FQHCs and others, and, and working out the sustainable model with them going forward. And then on the technology side, at the end of the day, we are a technology company. We're a healthcare company, but we're a technology company. And so we're really pushing forward with some exciting, you know, new things that we're doing is fire advances, CDS hooks advances, all of that technology and really staying on the you know front edge of that. This year and the last year have been huge years for digital health funding. Are you an institutional funded company yet? Uh, we are, and that's probably part of our journey in 2022 as well with the next level of funding. And what do you make of the 5,000 or so companies that have been funded uh, so far? Are you seeing any trends in terms of uh, either uh, breakout companies that are you know, coming out and really making a big difference? Are you seeing a shakeout at the other end You know, and everything in between? What are your thoughts on this whole explosive landscape of digital health funding that we've seen. This year we're going to end at 20 billion, give or take, is yeah. what I'm hearing. Yeah. You know, I think the the factor there is sort of the sustainability issue, right? And you mentioned this huge number of companies that have been funded, but yet the market, you know, needs sustainable solutions. The market doesn't really want all these point solutions. I think we've seen some of that consolidation this year, and I think we'll continue to see that consolidation going forward of some of the smaller point solutions being aggregated into larger kind of platform-based solutions. You know, that's been part of our journey over the past year and why we've moved from an original being, you know, focused on one disease state to multi-disease state to now outside of the chronic disease space because it's what the market wants. So I think that'll be some of the shakeout of, what gets rolled up, what doesn't survive because, you know, it was a great technology, but the health system doesn't want an app for that, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, it's been such a pleasure speaking with you, and I'm sure you've got an exciting year coming up. All the way best to you and your team, and uh, we will be watching very closely and cheering for you. (laughs) Thank you so much for having me today. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. You can reach us at info at with your feedback and questions. This podcast is brought to you with the support of our partners, Innovacer and Powbox.